Chapter 44 of Consuelo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Consuelo by George Sand. Chapter 44. Hardly had Consuelo uttered her name when Count Albert, raising his eyes and looking in her face, immediately changed his attitude and expression. He let his violin fall to the ground with as much indifference as if he had never known its use, and clasping his hands with an air of profound tenderness and respectful sadness. It is thou, then, whom I see at last in this place of exile and suffering. Oh, my poor Wanda, cried he, uttering a sigh which seemed to rend his breast. Dear, dear, and unhappy sister, unfortunate victim, whom I avenged too late, and whom I knew not how to defend. Ah, thou knowest that the villain who outraged thee perished in torments, and that my pitiless hand was bathed in the blood of his accomplices. I opened the deep veins of the accursed church. I washed thy dishonor in my own and that of my people in rivers of blood. What more dost thou desire, O restless and revengeful spirit? The times of zeal and anger have passed away. We live now in the days of repentance and of expiation. Ask from me tears and prayers. Ask no more for blood. I have henceforth a horror for blood and will shed no more. No no, not a single drop. John Siska will henceforth fill his chalice only with inexhaustible tears and bitter sobs. While speaking thus with wandering eyes and features animated by a sudden frenzy, Albert moved around Consuelo and recoiled with a kind of horror each time she made a movement to interrupt this strange adjuration. Consuelo did not require much reflection to understand the turn which her host's insanity had taken. She had heard the history of John Ziska, related often enough to know that a sister of that formidable fanatic, who had been a nun before the breaking out of the war of the Hussites, had died of sorrow and shame in her convent from a forced breach of her vows, and that the life of Ziska had been one long and solemn vengeance of that crime. At that moment, Albert, recalled by some association of ideas to his ruling fancy, believed himself John Ziska, and addressed her as the shade of Wanda, his unfortunate sister. She resolved not to contradict his allusion too abruptly. Albert, said she, for your name is no longer John, as mine is no longer Wanda. Look at me well, and see that I, as well as you, am changed in features and character. What you have just said, I came to recall to your mind. Human justice is more than satisfied, and it is the day of divine justice which I now announce to you. God commands us to forgive and to forget. These fatal recollections, this pertinacity of yours, in exercising a faculty which he has not given to other men. This scrupulous and gloomy remembrance which you retain of your anterior existences. 
God is offended at and withdraws from you because you have abused them. Do you hear me, Albert, and do you understand me now? Oh, my mother, replied Albert, pale and trembling, falling on his knees and looking at Consuelo with an extraordinary expression of terror. I do hear thee and understand thy words. I see that thou transformest thyself to convince and subdue me. No, thou art no longer Wanda of Ziska, the violated virgin, the weeping nun. Thou art Wanda of Prakalitz, whom men call Countess of Rudolstadt, and who bore in thy bosom the wretched being they now call Albert. It is not by the caprice of men that you are so called, returned Consuelo with firmness, for it is God who has caused you to live again under other conditions and with new duties. Those duties, Albert, you either do not know or you despise them. You travel back the course of ages with an impious pride. You aspire to penetrate the secrets of destiny. You think to equal yourself with God by embracing in your view the present and the past. It is I who tell you this, and it is truth. It is faith which inspires me. This always looking backward is rash and criminal. This supernatural memory which you attribute to yourself is an illusion. You have taken some vague and feeble glimmerings for certainty, and your imagination has deceived you. Your pride has built up an empty and unsubstantial edifice. When you assign to yourself the most important parts in the history of your ancestors, beware lest you are not what you suppose. Fear lest, to punish you, eternal wisdom should open your eyes for an instant and cause you to perceive in your former life less illustrious faults and less glorious objects of remorse than those on which you dare to pride yourself. Albert heard this discourse with timid attention, his face hidden in his hands, and his knees buried in the earth. Speak, speak, O voice of heaven, which I hear, but which I no longer recognize, murmured he, in stifled accents. If thou art the angel of the mountain, if thou art, as I believe, the celestial figure which has so often appeared to me upon the stone of terror. Speak, command my will, my conscience, my imagination. Thou well knowest that I seek for the light with anguish, and that if I lose myself in the darkness, it is from my desire to dissipate it in order to reach thee. A little humility, a little confidence and submission to the eternal decrees of wisdom, which are incomprehensible to man. That is the path of truth for you, Albert. Renounce from your heart, and renounce firmly, once for all, any wish to know anything beyond this passing existence which is imposed upon you, and you will again become acceptable to God, useful to man, tranquil in yourself. Humble your proud intellect, and without losing faith in your immortality, without doubting the divine goodness, which pardons the past and watches over the future. Apply yourself to render humane and full of good fruits. This present life which you despise 
when you ought to respect it and give yourself to it with all your strength, your self-denial, and your charity. Now, Albert, look at me, and may your eyes be unsealed. I am no longer your sister nor your mother. I am a friend whom heaven has sent to you, and whom it has conducted by miraculous means to snatch you from pride and from insanity. Look at me, and tell me, on your soul and on your conscience, who I am, and what is my name? Albert, trembling and confused, raised his head and looked at her again, but with less wildness and terror than before. You cause me to leap over abysses, said he to her. By your deep and searching words you confound my reason, which, for my misfortune, I thought superior to that of other men, and you order me to know and understand the present time and human affairs. I cannot. To lose the remembrance of certain phases of my life, I must pass through a terrible crisis, and to seize the sense of a new phase. I must transform myself by efforts which lead me to the gates of death. If you command me, in the name of a power which I feel superior to mine, to assimilate my thoughts to yours, I must obey. But I know those horrible struggles and I know that death is their termination. Pity me, you who operate upon me by a sovereign charm. Aid me, or I sink. Tell me who you are, for I do not know. I do not remember ever having seen you before. I do not know your sex, and you are there before me like a mysterious statue, the type of which I vainly strive to find in my memory. Help me, help me, for I feel that I am dying. While speaking thus, Albert, whose face was at first flushed with a feverish brightness, became again of a frightful paleness. He stretched out his hands toward Consuelo, but immediately lowered them to the ground to support himself, as if he had been overpowered by an irresistible faintness. Consuelo, becoming by degrees initiated into the secrets of his mental malady, felt herself reanimated, and as if inspired by new strength and intelligence. She took his hands, and obliging him to rise, she conducted him toward the chair which was near the table. He let himself fall into it, overpowered by unsufferable fatigue, and bent forward as if about to faint. The struggle of which he spoke was but too real. Albert had the faculty of recovering his reason and repelling the suggestions of the fever which consumed his brain, but he did not succeed without efforts and sufferings which exhausted his powers. When this reaction was produced of its own accord, he issued from it refreshed, and as it were renewed, but when he induced it, by a resolution of his still powerful will, his body sank under the effort, and all his limbs were affected by catalepsy. Consuelo understood what was passing within him. Albert, said she, placing her cold hand upon his head, I know you, and that suffices. I am interested in you, and that also must be sufficient for you at present. I forbid your making any effort of your will to recognize or to speak to me. Only listen, 
And if my words seem obscure to you, wait till I explain myself and be in no haste to discover their meaning. I ask of you a passive submission and an entire abandonment of your reflective powers. Can you descend into your heart and there concentrate all your existence? Oh, how much could you do me, replied Albert. Speak to me again. Speak to me always thus. You hold my soul in your hands. Whoever you may be, keep it. Do not let it escape, for it would go and knock at the gates of eternity and would there be broken. Tell me who you are. Tell me quickly. And if I do not comprehend, explain it to me. For in spite of myself, I seek to know and am agitated. I am Consuelo, replied the young girl. And you know it, since you instinctively speak to me in a language which I alone, of all those near you, can comprehend. I am the friend whom you have expected for a long while, and whom you recognized one day as she was singing. Since that day, you have left your family and hidden yourself here. Since that day, I have sought for you. You have appealed to me several times through Zdenko, but Zdenko, who executed your orders in certain respects, was not willing to conduct me to you. I have succeeded through a thousand dangers. You could not have succeeded had Zdenko been unwilling, interrupted Albert, raising his body, which was weighed down and resting upon the table. You are a dream. I see it well, and all that I hear is simply passing in my imagination. Oh, my God, you lull me with deceitful joys, and suddenly the disorder and incoherence of my dreams are revealed to me, and I find myself alone, alone in the world with my despair and my madness. Oh, Consuelo, Consuelo, fatal and delicious dream, where is the being that bears your name and is sometimes clothed with your form? No, you exist only in me, and it is my delirium which has created you. Albert again let his head fall on his extended arms, which became cold and rigid as marble. Consuelo saw him approach his lethargic crisis and felt herself so exhausted and so ready to faint that she feared she could not avert it. She endeavored to reanimate Albert's hands in her own, which were hardly more alive. My God, said she, with a choking voice, her heart sinking within her, Sucker two unfortunate beings who can hardly do anything for each other. She saw herself alone, shut up with the dying man, dying herself, and expecting no help for herself or for him, except from Zdenko, whose return seemed to her more to be dreaded than desired. Her prayer seemed to strike Albert with an unexpected emotion. Someone is praying by my side, said he trying to raise his overburdened head. I am not alone. Oh, no, I am not alone, added he, looking at Consuelo's hand clasped in his. Suckering hand, mysterious pity, human, fraternal sympathy. You render my agony very gentle, my heart very grateful. And he imprinted his frozen lips on Consuelo's hand and remained thus for a long while. 
a feeling of modesty restored to Consuelo the sense of life. She did not dare to withdraw her hand from the unfortunate young man, but divided between her embarrassment and her weariness, and no longer able to remain standing, she was compelled to rest upon Albert and to place her other hand upon his shoulder. I feel myself restored, said Albert, after a few moments. It seems to me that I am in my mother's arms. Oh, my Aunt Wenselawa, if it be you who are near me, forgive me for having forgotten you, you and my father and all my family, whose very names had escaped my memory. I return to you. Do not leave me, but restore to me Consuelo. Consuelo, whom I had so long expected, whom I had at last found, and whom I find no more, and without whom I can no longer exist. Consuelo endeavored to speak to him, but in proportion as Albert's memory and strength seemed restored to him, Consuelo's life seemed to desert her. So much terror and fatigue, so many emotions and superhuman efforts had so broken her down that she could struggle no longer. The words expired upon her lips. She felt her limbs bend under her, and every object swam before her eyes. She fell upon her knees by the side of Albert, and her swooning form struck the breast of the young man. Immediately Albert, as if awaking from a dream, saw her, recognized her, uttered a deep cry, and arousing himself, pressed her in his arms with wild energy. Through the veil of death which seemed to spread over her eyelids, Consuelo saw his joy and was not terrified. It was a holy joy, radiant with purity. She closed her eyes and fell into a state of utter prostration, which was not sleep nor waking, but a kind of indifference and insensibility to all present things. End of chapter 44